Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. The pharmacy is now open. What is up, you guys? Welcome to another episode of VGRX, your weekly dose of video game knowledge, know-how, news, and anything else we decide we want to talk about that day. Uh, we uh, are down one man, but that is okay. Britain is on vacation right now. Let's give it dab um, for our fairy squad mother. Yeah, let's give it our fairy squad mother. Everyone dabbed. I like it. Um, <laughs> I am Scott. We have over here Zach. What's up, guys? We have Dan. I have a lot to say today. Oh, God. Oh, and then, of course, we have uh, our guest who uh, we have on. Pretty uh, regularly. T- yeah, pre- pretty regularly from time to time, Brooksy. What's up? Thanks Welcome, for Brooks. coming in. Uh, he is, uh, well, if, first of all, um, before I get carried away, I uh, definitely want to throw a shout out to NWCC Radio, as always, for allowing us to use their studio and their equipment. Uh, they're fantastic, and I love to give them a shout out and a sponsor in any way I see possible at any time. This place is Northwest cool. Convergence yeah. Zone has a great studio. Yes. It's super comfortable, the equipment. I mean, it's awesome. Yeah, yeah. it's good stuff. It's awesome. Um, well, before we get too carried away, uh, first off, I want to start off with saying um, last week's episode, we were talking about the history of esports when it came to shooters and fighting games. So this week, we, uh, we kind of talked a little bit about the end last week, but this week we are going to be talking about RTSs. That is why Brooks is here, because he is uh, knows way more about RTSs than I, I know I ever will. I've, I've barely picked any I am, up. Relatively speaking, I think I'm the, the regular expert of the four of us, but Brooksy's definitely got me outclassed. Yeah, exa- exactly. Especially when it comes to shot. RTSs. But uh, then will come in the heated debate between me and Dan. Not really heated. About MOBAs. Because oh, yeah. when it comes to MOBAs, uh, me and Dan know best. You guys are very passionate. It, mm-hmm. it's, now, it's true. I did have one correction to make from the previous episode. You had a retcon. Yeah. So this is something Brooksy pointed out to me, and I realized is a uh, horrible, horrible mistake to make. Uh, How dare you? I implied that the uh, Tron released more recently uh, Mm -hmm. was a remake when, in fact, it is actually a sequel. Yeah. Brooksy gave me a piece of his mind i honestly didn't <laughs> even hear one. you say it i don't i didn't hear me say yeah. it either, but <laughs> i don't even realize what apparently I, was I said it so uh and then brooksy yeah. ripped you a new one so yep. apologies That's to any right. tron fans out there uh it's a very very offensive mistake and uh 
I hope you can forgive me. Yeah, don't worry. We won't. We won't bust a tear don't, too much. Don't, don't worry. burn the place down, please. <laughs> please. <laughs> okay. So uh, before we get into our history of esports talk, we do have a little news for you guys. I'm gonna let Zach take it away. Yeah. So we just want to cover a few topics or news things that happened over the past two weeks that uh, we weren't talked about or recorded. Um, but Microsoft is looking to purchase EA. And then EA is also continuing microtransactions in Battlefront mm. 2. That that's is, never going to change. Oh, my God. As, so, as long as they can have their hand in the pocket, yep, yep. they don't care. Yep. There is a lot that I have to say about that. But, but we'll cover that next yeah, week. Yeah, I was going to say, I'll, <laughs> yeah. I'll hold that until next yeah. time. This is something to look forward to. And I yeah. think uh, I think everybody's excited that Red Dead Redemption 2. Mm. Did it get a release date? Set to release October 26th. Got it. Ooh. Yes. All right. I, I haven't and played that game in so ready. long. And that's kind of like our our main our main news that we're going to. I don't know what why, why didn't why haven't they made a remake for that game for like Xbox One or something? I don't know. Uh, I they I they ported it. it. It's did, on, they? did they? I believe it's on. You can play it on PlayStation. Network. Oh I, well, don't talk to me about PlayStation. There's one <laughs> game I play on my play. That, there's one game I dusted my PlayStation off for, and that was Monster Hunter. Well, mm-hmm. now you've got a second game because Red Dead mm-hmm. Redemption's on the network. Okay. Well, Monster Hunter is another topic that we'll talk about more in depth ooh, yes. coming up here sometime. I'm almost beating I it. I don't know if it'll be next time, but it's for our first three hour we'll get, episode, we'll get, we'll get your roommate on the show. Yeah, and then we'll talk about it. For yeah, a long shout time. out to Torson who has done some crazy stuff with that game. Yeah. Yep. Anything else? Zach? Uh, no, that is about it for cool. news. Okay. Oh, uh, one more news. Yeah. Uh, Dragon Ball Z Fighters has replaced Marvel. In Evo's lineup Mar- for their next what it, what it, what Marvel, is Marvel versus Capcom. Um, Three, Ultimate, uh, Infinite. Oh. Infinite? Infinite. Is Infinite wasn't Infinite? that good of a game anyway. Yeah, so. I, I oh, no. don't claim to know too much <laughs> about the reasons it. why, but the brief reasoning I saw was that essentially Marvel didn't have the interest anymore, mm-hmm. whereas people are actually playing Dragon Ball Z Fighters, and yeah. also it looks really cool. And it looks really cool. It's very. I saw a video. It was a comparison video between like the ultimates of each character, mm-hmm. um, and they literally ripped it straight out of the anime. Yeah, it was That's awesome. Dope. Everyone I've talked to that has played it is a big fan of it already. Yeah, I'm not a huge 2D fighter guy, but honestly, like, mm-hmm. I think I may pick it up. It just looks awesome. We should yeah. get it and it, throw it down. It looks quality. Do you want to throw down? I'll throw down. Mm. Let's do it. You'll probably beat me. I'll be honest. We, th- we threw yeah. down last time. Let's do it. Here, I'll tell you what. You download Dota and throw down with me in Dota. Oof. I'll throw down with you in a fighter game. Deal. Deal. Okay. Deal. Virtual handshake. Awesome. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, for the beginning of our strategy game talk then, right? Yes. So we're going to talk about strategy games first. Yes. And then we're going to talk about MOBAs because as you'll discover, if you don't already know, MOBAs definitely <laughs> have their root deeply entrenched inside the strategy game hemisphere. Well, if it wasn't for them, we wouldn't even have it. Exactly. So, honestly. Um, so... To kind of lead that off, a couple times before I've talked about the differences between strategy games and tactics games. Mm-hmm. I figured this was as good a time as any to give a little bit more in-depth explanation. So you have kind of four main divisions when you talk about strategy-esque games. Yeah, uh, You've got strategy, like real-time strategy or turn-based strategy. Mm-hmm. You've got tactics games. Um, that's going to be like your XCOM or your your Final Fantasy Tactics, like Castle or, Crashers. Um, Would that be considered? No. Yeah, it could that's Castle a side-scrolling Crashers? action game? No, it's not. No, that's Battle or whatever the the their second one is. I'm talking about like the original where you would like build a city and send in your troops to like destroy. I'm far stretching here. I, I'm just going to shut up. Yeah, I was going to say we. I think we're thinking of different games. I don't Maybe. know which one of us is thinking of the wrong game. Sorry, so I'm we'll, just going to stop talking. Yeah. Uh, and then you also have Grand Strategy and Forex, which 
are less relevant to esports, but are still strategy games. So basically what it comes down to is kind of the level of macro that you're talking about. Um, When you develop a strategy in this context, you're usually coming up with an overarching plan. So a strategy for, uh, I don't know, a, a military situation is how are you going to execute this particular campaign of a war? How are you going to invade this land and make it happen? Mm-hmm. Whereas a tactics is like the functional on the battlefield micro detail, like I'm going to go up to that piece of cover right there and hide behind it because it's a good position for me to put down cover fire for everyone else. Strategy isn't going to worry about that because that's it's too much detail to try and fit into kind of a big picture uh, goal. Um, in the context of games, usually the dividing factor between a strategy and a tactics game is whether or not you have some sort of resource management and army building aspect. So... That's where you have games like uh, World in Conflict, we'll mention later. Uh, XCOM is another example. When you go into a map to have a game, I guess, uh, you have your whole army to start with. And then uh, in, in a strategy game... Sorry, Scott's moving around the room and it's sorry, confusing. No, no, it's distracting. Hang on, no. We're, oh, we're going to completely now. sideline the podcast and yeah. say that Scott's getting up right yeah. now to get a donut. I'm sorry. It w- Scott, while you're up, why don't you just I'm serve us all donuts? Um, strategy games, though, um, they have a resource management. So StarCraft, Age of Empires, uh, Warcraft 3, you have uh, Empire Earth, Rise of Nations. All of these games have some aspect of resource collection, which you then use to build units and upgrade your units and build other buildings. Um, then you have Grand Strategy and 4X games. And those have some overlap. Uh, in fact, those have a lot of overlap. Um, what would be some examples of grand strategy? So grand strategy is basically taking it a step further back. You basically don't even worry about the tactical level anymore. Um, you build armies, and then you send them at other armies, and then the game kind of abstracts the tactical fights to make all of that happen. So paradox games are an excellent example of a grand strategy game where you're in charge of every aspect of a nation. So military, diplomacy, resource management, all of this stuff. Um, 4X games are pretty similar in that you are also commanding everything about a nation. The difference is that there are... uh, well, there's the four X's, which is where the name comes from. I have those right here. Um, explore, expand, exploit, and exterminate. So basically the idea is that throughout the game, you're going to be using one or more of those strategies, probably all of them, to try to exert your influence over the world. So civilization is kind of the prime example of a four X game. Uh, Paradox has Stellaris. Um, there's a lot of games that are like civilization, but set up a little differently. Um, and there's a lot of overlap between those two. Um, Could you say that Civilization is probably like the most prominent, popular 4X yeah, out there? I, w- I would say so. Um, Total War would be an example of a grand strategy game that doesn't have the 4X element because there isn't an exploration element to it. That's usually the dividing factor. Right. Whereas in Civilization, random maps are a thing. Um, so you don't know where everything is from the get-go. So yeah. exploring is a part of it. Um, then the So then going back to strategy and tactics, though, because that's a little bit more relevant, um, 
I think part of what makes StarCraft and WarCraft uh, kind of the premier strategy games throughout history is that they're strategy games that are basically just over that dividing line. So you're still in a highly tactical situation, and that level of tactical mastery combined with the resource management is what makes it such an interesting game for people to play and what makes the skill ceiling so high. Uh, Brooksy and I were watching some professional matches. Uh, these dudes were average 300 actions per minute, which is to say like six times a second, five or six times a second, they're pressing a button. And the max... And it could spike. It, like We saw one... 1,500 for the Zerg player. Yeah. 1,500 actions per minute. Which means that at least for a second or two, he was getting up towards like 15 to 20 clicks or button presses in a single second. So that means those are things that he's doing in-game. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's any single thing that he's doing. It's insane. MOBAs tend to be at... 100 to 150 while someone's doing stuff. And that that 400, that 350 area, that's the average for top of the league players in esports yeah. for StarCraft 2. It's it's insane. So, anyway, with all of that, uh I hope that strategy games and tactics games make a little bit more sense to everyone out there who didn't know. Um but I'll toss it over to Brooksy with some of that StarCraft history. Oh, where do we start? Well, the first StarCraft came out in 1998. March, I think. March. And it didn't really take off as much. There was a lot of balance issues, mainly because Protoss were ridiculously strong. Welcome to most Blizzard games. Weren't ridiculously strong. Basically, if you had anything flying against Protoss, great. If you had anything ground against Protoss, you lost. And so that's pretty much how that game went it really didn't take off in esports until brood war came out november of 98 yeah which is ridiculous that it came out like that close to the original release but it fixed all the balance issues to the point where even as patches were coming out like in the past five to ten years they're still finding new ways to change the meta without that's similar to a lot of fighting games too is what i hear is that um, or no, not finding speed running is that people playing these old games will be finding things out this year still, like Ocarina of Time. It changes all the time. Yeah, like every every all the time. It, it's like new things are figured out every day. Mm-hmm. Like people were saying, like, oh, this strat was found, you know, two days before AGDQ or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. It's well, crazy. And like they like even we when we were watching the StarCraft two match, I'm sitting here like I've never seen any of this stuff. Ever. Brooksy like, explained like 10 new things to me during that episode or during that uh, that game that he was like, I didn't know this before. I just looked this up on my phone because I was trying to figure out why he built that. Yeah. Like, so at my level, I'm doing maybe 120, 150 actions per minute. And I'm a little low. I'm in mid tier silver for StarCraft. And Garbage. What so what would be all the tiers? For um, so their tier layout is you start out, there's three tiers for each metal. So bronze, you have tier three, tier two, tier one, then so on and so forth through silver and through gold. And then I believe it goes to master and then grandmaster is where it tops out. 
And then from there, you get sponsorships for esports teams, or you get the top 16 players get invited to play BlizzCon for an invitational where they crown the champ. All kinds of stuff like that. And then Dan hits the mic. But yes. um, <laughs> sorry about that. You were really good at leaving like subtle things, just blast them out. I like it. <laughs> My gosh, um, too real. So that grandmaster tier would be four hundred actions per minute. Oh yeah, that's kind of like um, it depends on what server. Like the North American server, I believe tops out typically two fifty actions per minute, depending on what you do, and that for a lot of the part is also your micromanaging with the. Um, the hotkeys for putting units on each number on your keyboard. So you're literally hitting one SD and you've made like five workers. And that's how you're doing that max actions per minute, which I've been practicing. I started out rusty at like 30 actions a minute. Now I'm at 120. So that's better. So improving. But I'm definitely going to keep watching because you learn so much. But I jumped ahead a little bit. So... Brood War took off in Korea, and then just there was a cartoon channel that decided they wanted to change it up and have their first Brood War tournament on cable, and it was ridiculous. And I was too quiet because I need to like put this thing right up in my face. I told you to do it before. I know. I know. Oh my gosh. So. It this was episode's uh, going down the tubes. It's it's <laughs> sixteen minutes in. We're going down. They had a cartoon channel called Tooniverse, and they broadcast in nineteen ninety nine their first StarCraft tournament. And the designs, just all the props, the giant golden arching chairs that the players sat in, they really, really, really went hog wild on producing it. And yeah. it took off to the point where it's a sport in Korea. It is nationally televised all the time. Like the tournaments, everything, the they're, global. They're Starcraft fighting to get League. it in. Uh, they're fighting to get in the Olympics. Yeah, yeah. we're, we're going to talk about that. Okay, later. are we? Yeah, good. Yeah. yeah. Um, and this is where Brood War took off. Starcraft Two didn't actually take off in Korea until. 2011, 2012, I think it was. I mean, it you know it released in 2010, so it wasn't going to do anything before then. True, very true. <laughs> Dang, but people wow. even to this day are still playing Brood War because, like I said, the last patch was in what was it 2000 in Brood War? Yeah. So okay, I I, I did look that one up. Um, they patched fairly regularly up through like 2009. It was kind of tapering off towards the end there, um, which included a no CD patch at one point so that which you didn't have beautiful. to have a CD to play anymore, which is, I mean, oh. that was leading up into like the Steam era and digital games. So it, I, it was something that made sense. Um, and then they stopped patching for like eight years until last year when they dropped a patch on the game, said, by the way, it's free to play now and uh, updated... Um, they updated a bunch of the functionality, essentially, I think, to support esports in a lot of ways. Yeah, and then they also remastered, um, which which helped. I mean, they what they did in that case and with this last patch was they revamped the servers. 
And to be Any, to be clear, that's they re they released a remastered version of StarCraft, but the old one still functions. Yes, and you can turn off the HD graphics or turn the HD graphics back on. Um, if you're going to turn off the HD graphics, you might as well just not purchase the game, which was my opinion of it. It it they made it look like a flash game almost, and it just. Didn't That's agree interesting. With me. I'll have to look up some gameplay of it. Yeah, I bought it and within two hours called Blizzard and returned it. Um, but what they did was, and this is the hugely important part, they updated how the online matchmaking system works to make it more like StarCraft 2. And for anyone listening, if you ever played the original StarCraft's matchmaking system, it was work. You had a job a full-time job trying to get into matchmaking. It was mm-hmm. difficult. The support was very, very sporadic. And it was just, oh, you had to jump through hoops to get a match. A match. So let's let's get back kind of to the history of it, though. Okay. Uh, what made it big along the way? How did this history of Star... How did what StarCraft do contribute to esports becoming a big thing? What it did was it kind of showed off just how competitive gaming can be, and they started when they started televising it is when people started paying attention. But where it really took off was when people started connecting with the players. Right, you had Slayers, mentioned Slayer Boxer. Boxer. Yeah, that was something that I came upon, and then Brixie and I both did some some research on that. Um, this dude is probably. I mean, I might be wrong on this, but it seems like he's one of the first kind of true esports celebrities. Uh, he was good at StarCraft, and we're talking like 2000, 2001, this kind of stuff. He was he was a really good player, um, and he was maybe better at marketing himself. Absolutely so astounding. So this, this is something it. you see in, in music as well, where, sure, your music can be great, but if you don't know how to get it out there, no one will ever know. Yeah. And so this guy was kind of that, but in the competitive sport or esports world, um, he had a little bit of uh, like not quite arrogance, but like he definitely thought he was hot stuff. And, and he had a persona that he liked to put out mm-hmm. because people liked it. And so because of that, people became huge fans of him. He probably wasn't the best player at the time. And in fact, in 2001 and 2002, he lost a couple tournaments in the finals to the Protoss, who were viewed to be a weak race to play at the time. The weakest. Um, but he was he was smart. He knew how to get you know his sponsors' names out there. He knew how to to mention this stuff. I remember reading uh, something along the lines of like he was he was being interviewed, and there was a bank that was sponsoring that tournament, and he mentioned how he was going to put his winnings into his new bank account at whatever bank it was. Like, you know, a, n- a natural way to get it in in an interview that still the sponsor's going to notice that. So he ultimately ended up backing out of the team he was a part of because um, their organizations were picking up at that time to organize players together to make sure that they had their infrastructure, their opportunity to practice and presumably to make money. And um, he just he was he also was having an issue with the fact that he felt the team was oversaturated i think it said mm-hmm. yeah i i do remember seeing that and that he was having trouble finding protoss practice partners so he yeah. kept losing to protoss which um, he can't have so he left and he made his own team 
and he picked up a few amateur players along the way. And then this dude, now, I don't know exactly how to pronounce it. I think it's I Love Oove. Yep. Uh, I Love Oove. So I Love Oove was not an amateur, really. The perception is that way. As it turns out, this dude had kind of an attitude problem. Um, and as a result, no teams wanted to be working with him because he was a pain in the butt to work with. So they didn't. But uh, Boxer, Slayer's Boxer, decided to put him onto his team. And then he kind of helped meld his personality into something that was still I love Oof's kind of arrogant rash you know the self i don't know full full of himself kind of way of being i guess he was cocky yeah but he said be cocky just do it more politely so he'd have interviews and they'd ask him you know do you think you're gonna win and he'd say yes because i'm better than them i'm better at the mind game that is starcraft um so at the same time ktf a telecom company in in uh korea put together their own team and the two teams ended up against each other in the final. So boxers team, which was named Orion uh, and then KTF's team, which was named KTF. Cause that's how they usually do it over there. Yep. Um, so Lots KT- of acronyms. KTF's team. So in this tournament, this is a team tournament, um, four players on each team and then they play sequential one V ones. So, uh, the first member of each team will play against each other. Whoever wins will then play the second member of the losing team. And then that will go back and forth until one team is completely eliminated. So KTF coming out of the winner's bracket gets to select who they're going to play against from the losing team or the losing bracket team, which was Orion. So they picked I Love Oove because they figured they could prepare to take him out and that that would throw Orion off their game and they'd ultimately win. Um, and that was that's kind of how the strategy would work, right? You'd pick the first opponent, probably one of the stronger members, but someone you could prepare specific strategies for that you'd practiced really hard. So it should have been an easy win, or a somewhat easy win, but I Love Oof won three games in a row by himself before they took him out, and Orion ended up winning overall 4-2. to two. Um, That built a rivalry between Orion and KTF for the next few tournaments, and then ultimately resulted in Orion being picked up by a name that anyone who follows League will be familiar with, SKT-T1, SK Telecom. They paid $1.7 million to pick up Orion and the players and all of that, which was a huge amount of money at the time. This is, I didn't get a date on when exactly that happened, but it was somewhere around 2004, 2005, I think. Mm-hmm. Um and it completely changed how esports worked. Prior to that, it had been all grassroots stuff. You know, everyone involved worked really hard to make it all happen and didn't get that much money, but they did it for the love of the scene and the game. Yeah. So, what year did they pick up uh, the team? Uh, that that's the one I didn't actually find direct info on mm-hmm. in two thousand four or two thousand five in that neighborhood mm-hmm. because. At that time, that spurred other corporate investment. A lot of other companies decided to jump in and start getting their own teams. And then the scene started changing. You have uh, KESPA rises to prominence in this time, the Korean Esports Players Association. Um, And they introduce a lot of uh, rules and regulations, in particular to 
protect players for the most part because players usually weren't getting as much money as they probably deserved comparatively to the companies, the organizations, the tournament runners, all of that. Broadcasters Um, is where they were having a huge mm -hmm. problem too. So the infrastructure across the board everywhere started to improve. So did the professionalism. Um, And so now that's why you see the kind of the professional level of esports that we have today, or that's the start of it. I would like to point out on a side note, um, Boxer was so good at marketing himself and so popular that in, in Korea they have a military service that is required by law. And he got pulled away from his esports and had to join the Korean Air Force for a while. They created an official StarCraft team run by the government just for him because of how he marketed himself and and the popularity that he commanded. Imagine having that kind of pull. Imagine that. Just the military created a video game team for you. That's amazing. (laughs) I guess, like, it seems like it's just ingrained in the culture. Yeah. You know? Yeah, well, I mean, at this point, it's definitely viewed as, like... I mean, it would be like sports here, right? Sure, it's not a good plan to bank on being a you know a football player in the NFL, but if you do manage to make it, absolutely your family's going to be excited about that. Well, same thing there. It's just you know esports is included in that bucket of acceptable things to go on and do. And on a side note, one thing that we had discussed is the difference though here is. If you play games and you're good and you can market yourself, it's not like you have to be the full pro college athlete to get into esports. Play, do well, practice. I mean, put your work in, but this is something that anybody can work to get to. Yeah. And and we'll we have some other topics that are going to hit on that too. Um the last few things about uh strategy game history, Warcraft 3 as I recall, ends up being a big deal basically everywhere except South Korea. Um, and then later on when StarCraft II comes out, and that's in 2010, WarCraft III is 2002, I think. Yep. Um, StarCraft uh, II then becomes more popular everywhere except South Korea still prefers StarCraft Brood War at that point. And then also WarCraft III was a much bigger deal in China for a while. Yep. Um, um Little side note, when Brood War came out and it started taking off, the population of Korean uh, of South Koreans was 47 million and 1 million players were playing Brood War. Yeah. Think wow. about that number compared to that population. Part of that is because of the PC Bang cafes, um, which we haven't talked about yet, but essentially they're internet cafes. You can walk in, you pay for an hour or two or three of time. Um, And then you sit down and you can play whatever games they have on their computers there. The internet connections are good. Um, They're common in Korea. Yeah, we we had them a little bit over here in North America for a little while, but they didn't really take off mostly because you could get broadband internet at home here. You couldn't Mm -hmm. get that in Korea because... It, you there was just an, wasn't a I think thing. there was an economic slump at the time. It was yeah. the late 90s, 98, 99, something like that. And so you would go and you would get broadband, full-speed internet, and it would be great. Whereas over here, you could do that at home, so no one really wanted to go out and pay for a couple hours of internet unless you didn't have a computer. So, I mean, it, it got a little bit of love. I actually had a friend who 
was a manager of one, but he said it didn't get very much business and they had to close it down within a couple of years. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and then as far as everything else is concerned, uh, well, StarCraft ends up be staying popular into 2012 when OGN finally canceled the last big StarCraft tournament. For Brood War. For Brood War. Um, but then they reinstated it a couple of years later in 2014 because people were that interested. Yep. So, so we've still got Brood War, and people have moved to StarCraft 2. StarCraft 2 is still a phenomenon in mm. Korea. and it Yeah, is, they're on an equal level now, I would say. I mean, I've, I'm looking forward to the match that I'm going to watch. What, what's today? The 7th? Two more days until the Global StarCraft League has their semifinals, which mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to watching and learning more than I will ever need to know about this game. So then, Zach, so, uh, people will notice we've only talked about Blizzard games in the context of strategy mm-hmm. up to this point. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us about the non-Blizzard games and how unsuccessful most of them have been. So, <laughs> I mean, kind of like what we focus on has been Age of Empires, uh, mm-hmm. Command and Conquer. Um, I looked into Total War which really didn't have any successes or any real uh, tournament strategies mm-hmm. to it. Um, and I also looked into a personal game, which was Tom Clancy's End War, which I love, but mm-hmm. never gaining traction with the public. Right. Um, but it seems like Age of Empires, Command and Conquer, they all had tournaments, mm-hmm. you know, from the mid-90s all the way up until, like, yeah, the late 2000s. I, I remember seeing stuff about various Age of Empires games. Yeah. But it all seems to kind of end both for Command and Conquer and for Age of Empires around uh, 2015. It's okay, kind of when they start dying out. Um, there's a few tournaments both last year for both Age of Empires and Command and Conquer, um, mm-hmm. but they're not really prominent anymore. Yeah, um, I know. I ran into a website that had uh, earnings by tournament, and you could organize it by game and by genre and a bunch of other things. It's a really cool um, website. Yeah. Um, and there was what? Under the strategy tab, I think I saw World of Tanks had something like 3.6 million in winnings. I think that's what I saw. But that's more of a tactics game, as I understand it. I've never played it, but you basically, you drive a tank. Yeah, you, yeah, you control, are a tank. You, not, you, you don't drive, you are Sorry, a you tank. are a tank. <laughs> yeah. My apologies. Well, somebody's passionate about World of Tanks. Yeah, don't get on my level. Scott, okay. um, Scott, do you have something you have to tell us about World of Tanks? I've never played the game before. <laughs> there were two other games that I would also say kind of count as tactics games over strategy games. One of them was Clash Royale, which is a mobile game. But it, it has some decent winnings, and I assume that's still a thing that's going on. Uh, the other one was World in Conflict, that it didn't have a huge prize pool in the end, but it's it's one of those games that sits right on the dividing line because it has an army like you would have in StarCraft, but you don't actually make it. You just come into the level with it. Um, I know I have a friend, Mark. You all know Mark. Uh he has talked to me about World in Conflict a few times. It seems like a really interesting game. It just never got the traction it would have needed. If it would have taken off, I bet you we'd have an eSport of World in Conflict. Um, there was also... I was looking through like all the Total War games, and Total War Warhammer 2 was yeah. probably the most... is not as prominent as, like say, StarCraft, but it's probably the most prominent Total War game 
when it comes to tournaments it's, and competitions. Yeah, it's the most recent one, mm-hmm. and it is building on the first Total War Warhammer that came out last year or the year before. So there's more depth to it. So I bet you that's part of why that do, is the case. Do any of you guys have experience playing it at all? I do. You do? Yeah, yeah. I, I own both the games. I don't have all the DLC at this point, but... um. Yeah, so I think probably the reason, if I had to speculate, and I don't want to speculate too much longer because we have MOBAs to talk about too, but um, the reason that Total War Warhammer would be able to have a tournament scene and not the other Total Wars is that uh, essentially that it's fantasy. It's something that's made up. Um, The other Total War games, they tend to give a certain deference to history, which means that some, you know, certain armies are just not as good. So the balance is off. That's okay in the context of a total war game, like as a whole, because it's a grand strategy game. It's not uh, a real time strategy, but the the kind of the tactical portion of that, where you bring your army in and you fight against someone else, is a thing that people do by itself. Mm-hmm. And because it's Warhammer, they can basically play around with the balance all they want to make it more balanced so that any army has a better chance against any other army. Yeah. There's still imbalance to be sure, but it's deliberate when it's there and it's in ways that you can work around a lot of the time. And I find, you know, I guess hearing you guys talk about Starcraft and like knowing about Starcraft and stuff like that. I think that despite age of empires and command and conquer not being too prominent, I think they played an important role because it mm-hmm. showed like Starcraft, they have the right formula. They're built right. People play within it. There's new metas being, um, you know, evolved within it. But Age of Empires and Command and Conquer kind of show you how not to build a game. Yeah. And how to structure it and how, you know, what's successful and what's the, not. The one thing I saw about why Age of Empires and Command and Conquer didn't work, at least with Age of Empires, uh, random maps. Yeah. When you have random maps, you have the chance for the random number generator to essentially give screw somebody, over yeah. one person unfairly. Yeah. Give so. somebody advantage. Mm-hmm. Well, and Age of Empires took off in a different way. It didn't take off in an esports way. People would play online custom matches that would become huge because you start out with maximum resources and then you build like a madman and take over the whole map and mm-hmm. fight people with all kinds of ridiculous custom game styles, kill the king, all kinds of stuff like that. And so it took off in a different direction. Although it's funny you say that because that's that happened in StarCraft and Warcraft as well. Um, so Warcraft 3 and StarCraft, I remember when I played those games, I didn't really play the regular games very much. I would play the custom maps that you found online. And there were all sorts of cool things. There's Evolves, which is kind of a it's a mass like you just spawn units in constantly and you just send your massive units at someone else's massive units and then the more kills that your mass gets the better your units get it's a weird game mode but it's fun um there were tower defenses which went on to be super popular as uh like flash games for a long time and then also there are straight up full-blown games that you can buy on steam now that are tower defenses you know dungeon defenders is one uh Oh, I'm forgetting the names. But there's there's a lot of good tower defenses out there now. Um, there are... Hero Line Wars. Yeah, Hero Line Wars. Which is where you send minions at your opponent, and they have to fight those minions to earn gold but so that they can send minions at you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so a whole bunch of these different custom game modes. But one of those, back in StarCraft, called Aeon of Strife, uh, you had a map. You had two teams. 
one team was in the lower left corner, one team was in the upper right, or in Aeon of Strife, it might have been top and bottom. But um, anyway, each side had a player who was in command of one unit, and then it had computer-controlled units running down a few different lanes on the map to run at the other base and try and destroy it. Uh, both bases had that going on, so the computer-controlled units would never make any progress except for what the players helped them do. Uh, that later got ported into Warcraft 3, and we now know that as Defense of the Ancients, Dota. Yes. Ooh, this, this is, is I think, where Scott gets to pick up on some of these details. <sighs> yes. I don't know if you have the dates. I can rattle those off real quick if you want. For when Dota started? Yeah, and then oh, the I, other significant I, things. I in have there. them right here. I as yeah, well I, have I do them. too. I wasn't sure if Scott. Scott, had you them go yet. ahead and read them. Yeah. Uh, so it started with uh, Aeon of Strife. Did we talk about that at all? I just and, mentioned okay, it. Okay. Yeah. Aeon and Strife uh, started in StarCraft uh, Brood War, um, and we and don't know in, the exact date. Yeah, that was in 2002. Um, but we do know in July 3rd, when Warcraft 3: Reign of Chaos uh, is released, uh, people, multiple people, ported over. Uh, Aeon of Strife over to Warcraft 3. So that was kind of just uh, the start of what Dota became. Um, it didn't actually become Dota until 2003. Uh, it was the second installment of the game, uh, and they called it Dota Thirst for Gamma. Uh, and that was released by Yule, and that was also an unknown date. But it, we do know it was in 2003. Uh, 2004 came around, and then Dota All-Stars Beta was released. And you can kind of see a sense of where this is going. Uh, Dota was very prominent between the, like, started... What's up? Did you have the name of the, the uh, Dota developer? Because throughout time, there were different kind of significant Dota developers within that community. And yeah. That developer, as I recall, was an important one, but I am blanking on the name. Uh, it is... Uh, Mian and uh, Ragon, Ray, uh, Raganor, Okay, I might be thinking of the next one. Then. Are you thinking of Ice Frog? Well, there's Ice Frog, but I, then there's, Ice Frog there's is a the reason. Guys. Okay, yeah, Ice Frog is a a big reason too. Um, and then for people who play Dota, this is this is just a side note, but 2004. Uh, when Dota All-Stars got its next patch, they featured Roshan, which is essentially Baron in League of Legends. And uh, that may not seem like a big deal, but that was that that is an incredibly big deal. Uh, and then they started a clan, um, let's see, in Dota All-Stars. It formed the clan, uh, consists of uh, Pandragon. Uh, These are the ones. Yeah, Guso and Ice Frog among others uh and those are some pretty big names yeah and we'll get to that in a minute yes uh so essentially it just goes on um more dota patches were coming out this is all still released on warcraft 3's engine um essentially there wasn't a dota game um by the way didn't mention it defense of the ancients is what it went we, by we did mention did it. we okay yeah. sorry yeah it's fine def- i mean the thing is is that no one called it dota like it was, it was a, an acronym, but everyone still called it "Defense of the Ancients." It wasn't until Dota Two that everyone just started calling it Dota. Um, mm, I don't know if that's true. Well, I called it Dota when I was in high school. Oh, did you? Mm-hmm. That's what everybody called it. Really? Yeah. Got it. Okay. Well, I'm just wrong. Whatever. Sorry, guys. Yeah, just um, Scott, get it together. 2004, November 
in November was the first competitive version of Dota. November 12th was the International Games uh, Syndicate uh, started the first official League of Dota All-Stars and the first official competitive match between the House of Zed and 4DTA. And that was in November 20th. This is very specific. Very, very specific stuff. Uh, I actually didn't know a lot of this, so I'm, I'm learning as we go on. Um... And then after, in 2005, uh, I'm trying not to rattle on really fast. I'm just kind of like uh, trying to get bulletins almost. Um, uh, Gunso announces his departure in Aishrong along with uh, uh, Nasus taking over development. Uh, in March, the World Cyber Game announced a tournament for Dota. Uh, so this is very, very early on MOBA stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, because Dota was... I don't want to say the first one. Oh, actually, it was because it was um, Aeon of Strife, mm-hmm. which turned into Dota. So first, there are probably games before that that you could call MOBAs, but yeah. they weren't at that. Point. Yeah, they it's weren't. They weren't similarities. Any, yeah, they, they, there weren't anything that was getting constant updates like this is. No, there was a couple games that I think it mentioned were on some Sega systems mm-hmm. that had kind of a similar idea, but not even close to what it is now. Yeah, and then uh, next in June of two thousand five, Ice Frog release uh, uh, released the next update, and it was the first translated uh, version into Chinese. And it says the name of the person who translated it, but I'm not going to try to pronounce who what the name is. Uh, October 10th of 2005, um, Dota All-Stars announces that BlizzCon will host a Dota tournament. Now... That's a pretty big deal. That is a very big Huge. deal. Huge. Because um, BlizzCon was something that was... Uh, I don't remember exactly when BlizzCon started. Uh, Zach, maybe you can look that up for me. Got it. Um, you got it already? No. Oh, I, you're I'm, just saying I'm you're agreeing. doing it. Okay. Yeah. Um, but BlizzCon is a massive deal because it was almost, I want to say, one of the first companies that was like, this is our company and we're making a con about our company. Now, clearly, mm-hmm. they didn't have the same amount of games that they that they have now, you know. No, but at the time they had StarCraft and they had uh Warcraft 3. Yeah, which was and a big deal. I'm pretty sure by that point they had uh World of Warcraft as well. Yeah. Um, uh, but like very vanilla versions. What mm-hmm. is it, Zach? So BlizzCon first event was in 2005. Oh, okay. So then this is the first BlizzCon ever yeah. hosting yeah. a Dota tournament. Yeah. Um it's funny cuz people just associate Dota with Valve. But, you know, it was really a Blizzard IP. All the characters in Dota were from Blizzard IP stuff. Um, So it goes on saying BlizzCon hosted Dota tournaments, yada, yada, yada. Uh, We're just going to kind of skip ahead here a little bit. Um, When did... So, okay, I guess I can throw in my little bits of history. Yeah, because it's Um, essentially just saying that... You mentioned Ginsu or Gwinsu. I'm not sure how it's pronounced exactly. Mm -hmm. G-U-I-N-S-O-O. Yeah. Um, And also Pendragon Mm -hmm. before. Um, Those two names are significant to anyone who knows League of Legends history. Um, Really? Yeah. Very, oh, oh, very significant. So in 2005, Uh right, and you talked about how they handed over development to Ice Frog and the other guy. So that's when they left and formed Riot Games. Huh. 2006 is when Riot Games initially announced that they were making League of Legends. Uh huh. 
2008 is when they first uh, showed League of Legends at a... Sorry, did I? I think I got that wrong. 2008, I think, is when they announced League of Legends. And 2009 is when it finally came out in beta form. Mm. Um, so uh, Ginsu, Gwinsu is one that uh, anyone who plays the game right now will recognize that because there's an item called uh, Gwinsu's Rage Blade. Um, the details of what it does aren't important. It's just there are a variety of items in the game that uh, reference people who have worked on the game or in, in one case, someone who won a competition at one point to name an item after themselves. Um, so Morello Namicon is one of those. He's a current person who works at Riot. Athene's Unholy Grail is he's a dude that won a competition. And I think there's a few others. Shirelia is a name that existed. I don't know who that was, but... Uh, there are more older items that are no longer in the game that have those kinds of names. But um, anyway, Pendragon is kind of infamous mm -hmm. in the MOBA community. Um, so just for the sake of some references here, 2009 is when League launches. 2011 is when you have the first competitive stuff happen in the game. Mm -hmm. um, Dota 2, I believe I saw Ice Frog got hired on at Valve in 2009. Yep. And that uh, Dota 2 first was made public in 2011 Actually, in beta form at an international. Scott will talk about that more in a minute. So, yeah. But to give that, and then 2013 was their official release date. There you go. Yeah. Um, but yeah. so anyway, uh, Pendragon, mm -hmm. once Riot Games went and made League of Legends and did all of that, Pendragon was the owner of what I believe was the biggest Dota forum at the time. Mm -hmm. And. I don't know exactly how it went down, but essentially he turned the forum into a giant advertisement for League of Legends. So, Man, now I know where the bad blood yeah, comes from. Yeah, so people... I don't know if this is much of a thing anymore. Um, Dota, Dota fans are not a big fan of... They're not... They're, they don't like League of Legends a lot, but for a reason that's same kind of forth. understandable. Yeah. Certainly, early on in the history, the same goes back and forth. These days, I don't remember the last time that I saw someone talk negatively about Dota Two, and I'm sure that it's kind of cooled down in the Dota Two community as yeah. well. No one, no um, one really cares anymore, right? But at the time, that was a big deal. It was a really rude way to kind of depart from the Dota community. Um, Salty, yeah. So there, there's a lot of like heavy salt there that. Honestly, even as someone who primarily plays League of Legends, I, I can't blame anyone for that. So no, yeah. Pendragon, I don't think, works at Riot anymore. He, uh, I mean, obviously pulling a stunt like that, that's not what got him kicked out or that's not what caused him to leave or whatever, but he left fairly early on. Mm -hmm. um, How unfortunate for yeah. him. Who so anyway, that's, a, that's an interesting known? little tidbit. Who would have known that these games that kind of started out would blow up to what they Right, were? and that's that's the thing. No one really thought that League was going to become anything else because there were MOBAs, you know, after Dota originally came out. Mm -hmm. and yeah, Dota Heroes of New Earth is, is an example. So yeah. League of Legends is, uh, I believe, the first MOBA that had its own dedicated engine. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's what we figured out right before this podcast. Um but then Heroes of New Earth mm -hmm. launched in 2011 uh, or 10. 2010, May 12th. Right. So Heroes of New Earth was another game. Um, it took a rather more abusive take on the MOBA formula where anytime you died, the game was like, how did you die? You know, you're terrible. 
Uh, if someone leaves the game, so it'll it'll like give an announcement to the game, rage quit. Like, oh really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's it's. I've seen some videos. I can't imagine playing that game and like staying sane. It just seems awful, and it's kind of died off. Yeah, so there's really not a lot of information about it at all. Yeah, honestly, like a um, couple things, but nothing. There was. It doesn't look like there was any like major tournaments. You know, nothing like that. Right. Um. But you know. One of the first major tournaments, I don't mean to keep going back here, but I think this is re- very relative. Um, the One of the first major tournaments for a MOBA um, was the release of Dota 2, which mm-hmm. was in 2011, I believe. Yeah. Now, before we get too far into this, mm-hmm. a metric we've been using a lot here is by... Uh, measuring prize pool mm-hmm. um there are some other metrics that are definitely good ways to measure interest i think one of the biggest ones being viewership i didn't really track viewership mu- much as i was looking at this stuff but i know that league of legends and dota and uh, probably a couple of these others have kind of gone back and forth setting new records for viewership yeah but i'm sorry to tell you but it's just dota now. <laughs> I, i'm gonna be completely honest with you yeah i mean I haven't kept track in the last few years, but yeah. Dota 2. Uh, Dota 2, uh, the first uh, tournament for the first tournament for Dota 2, which was also the first public um, release of the game, happened in GamesCon in 2011, uh, and the prize pool was $1.6 million. The biggest prize pool that has ever been given out at any esports tournament in history up to that point. There's going to be a trend here that yes. you'll discover. You, you, will, you will see what's up. So uh, this is going back to your League of Legends viewership thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, this article is from Rolling Stone, December 21st, 2017. It says more than 360 million people watch this year's League of Legends midseason invitational. Now look up yeah. Dota's International TI7 and then come back. All right. Um, so Shots fired. They, this, was a, this was a huge deal. Like This wasn't just um, a little tournament at a, you know uh, some guy's basement or something like this that is gamescom yeah this is this is a a convention that uh at the time was already developed it was something that major developers would bring their games to i know we said that dota had a tournament at uh blizzcon but that was the first year of blizzcon so that it i mean people were like oh what is this yeah. well maybe we'll go yeah exactly like you know blizzcon wasn't a a known of IP, you know, we didn't really know of the company a ton. They had a couple games, but uh, I mean, they had good games. Don't get me wrong. World of and, Warcraft, yeah, World of Warcraft and stuff. But I'm saying, People like, knew Blizzard, yeah, but uh, you know, it but wasn't the phenomenon. Yeah, yeah, con. no, you're right. I mean, DreamHack, uh, I think the next year mm-hmm. was going to have a pretty big tournament hosted, and then DreamHack went on to become huge. Yep, you know, exactly. they're one of the premier events that happens worldwide now. Um, there's a lot of other events that we talked about last time that are bigger. You have the Intel Extreme Masters these mm-hmm. days are all big uh, esports events. Um, and then, yeah, Gamescom is a big one. Yep. You know, we live in, in uh, the Pacific Northwest, so PAX is a big deal for us here. But PAX is like small fries compared to some of these. Yeah, and so Gamecons took place in Germany. Um, and a lot of people actually didn't even end up playing in the tournament because they all thought it was fake because a lot of a lot of managers and stuff like that would either keep prize money that these teams would win and stuff like that um 
but this was valve sanctioned event like and and this was a massive deal um going into mobas and esports in general um because it really kind of solidified this is something that people can make their career mm-hmm. um and i know this isn't super esports based but a lot of people a, a lot of um chinese teams were there and they were they were basically set to be the quote unquote winners one that i'll just say right off that uh right off the top of my head is uh ehome uh one of the best chinese teams like and this this was a team that um people respected and that they got n- national notoriety mm-hmm. um and it was they actually lost this tournament in the grand finals to a little team called navi um that they still play today and they they? still play today um but china used to be number one stop (laughs) my gosh we're not talking about pubga here um but you know back in the day like no one really knew that this was going to be something that would be a paying career and uh, it kind but of, a lot of people were trying to make it because they saw what yeah. was happening in South Korea and they said, well, they're they're making it work. Us? Why can't we? Exactly. But you know what? I'm so happy that it is, though. What? It's so that, cool. Uh, yes. Pro gaming's a thing. Yeah. People can it be living off it's of so it. that when when we're at work and all the guys want to talk about football, we can talk about esports. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then no one will know what we're talking about. Perfect. So what what I read about the international, right? Mm-hmm. And there are some other major events for Dota 2. You know, it runs at IEM every year. Um, but the international is really it's the tournament that we talk about, yep. right? So it it happens every year. Yep. Uh, what time of year? It happens normally in August. Okay. And yep. it, they started hosting it in Seattle, Key Arena. Right. Yep. Right after they had one at Benaroya Hall, I think. I they think had the two. Second, where was it two? They so the second two. and third were at Benaroya. Yep. And they had those two at the Benaroya Hall, and then they realized that like, okay, this isn't going to work mm-hmm. anymore. The reason they do it in Seattle is because that's where Valve is right. sanctioned. This is where. You and know, BlizzCon happens in California for the same reason. Exactly. So, um, yeah, they had Ben Royal Hall twice, and then they went to the Key Arena. And actually going, be, being there, being at the International, it is a spectacle to behold. Because um, we were saying, you know, like I just said. What year did you go? I went uh, last year and then 2015. Okay. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, the prize pool kept getting bigger. So the first two, two, and I want to say TI3, they were both around the same amount of money. They were both mm-hmm. $1.6 million. And then... Yeah, this, it was the third TI where they started... Doing the, the uh, what's known as a battle pass. And what a battle pass is, is essentially uh, for someone who, like me, if I was to log in today uh, and start up Dota, I could download this or buy this thing called a battle pass. And a proceed of that money is going to go towards the prize pool at the international. Um, a lot of people would think, oh, you know, that's just them trying to get money from people. But it's not. It's actually a very, it's a very, very cool idea because if you get a battle pass, you don't have to put money into it besides getting the initial battle pass. But, you know, when you play games and you win games and you level up, you level up this battle pass to where you unlock uh, exclusive stuff that you can only get for this international. You unlock treasures to unlock more skins for more uh, uh, more heroes. Um and it, it it gives you an incentive to do it. Like it's not just like, hey, we're just taking your money from you, and you don't get anything in return. Yeah. Um. Back when they first started doing battle passes, though, 
uh, it was a tier system. So the more people who bought battle passes, it would unlock different tiers of stuff. So everyone would get it all at the same time. Um, but in more recent years, they do it as a leveling system to where, you know, you could end the international at level 10, or you could end the international like me and be a loser and be 1,560 something. I put a lot of money into that battle pass guys. So in any case, this battle pass, right? And this is something that hasn't been stated yet. I don't think, but the battle pass proceeds Mm -hmm. go towards the total prize pool for the tournament. Yep. So what up Brooks on a side note? Yeah. This is also something that ties in with RTSs. Blizzard started doing this as well. They have a the, war chest for their world. Do that. Valve, Valve set a precedent. League has started doing it too on a smaller scale. Mm-hmm. Um, and differently because they're the way that League is structured competitively is pretty unique, I'm pretty sure. So, yeah, it is. But it, So Dota, this is something I read. So mm-hmm. this crowdfunding method through the Battle Pass... Mm-hmm. Um, Started at the at TI three. Yep. Now we've had four, five, six, and seven since yep. then. Um, they are the four biggest prize pools of all time in esports yep. by a huge margin. Yep. So League of Legends last two world championships are, I believe, at five million dollars for the prize pool. Mm-hmm. Um, TI four is over ten. Yep. And that scales up to TI seven, which is I think close to twenty million. Twenty four million. Oh, Twenty four dollars. Dang. So Twenty four million. I have the a... first place got fourteen million. I did Four, read yep. that. Fourteen Team million. Liquid. No, Team Liquid. Oh yeah. yeah. And one of those. One of those uh, multi-game organizations. Go. Mm-hmm. Go watch the games. Um, even if you don't play Dota, watch the games because they are impressive. I was. Uh, I wasn't able to go to the finals because how they do it now is they split it up. It's an entire week long of games, mm-hmm. and uh, they you can, they sell two tickets. They do the weekend games, which is four days, and then they do the finals games. And the finals games I couldn't go to, but mm-hmm. uh, I watched it live, and it is amazing. Like these are these are prize pools that like I'm reading this right now. Mm-hmm. These are prize pools that exceed the Super Bowl, the Tour de France, and this is in 2015. Yeah, 2015. These these were higher than the Super Bowl. Like that's insanity, and this is mostly crowdfunding. Although there, and there are reasons for that too, though. And yeah, we'll, uh, it'll come up. But yeah, well, yeah, and going back huge to watching tournament winnings, it's just it's it's insane. Yeah. So, and going back to watching, I don't play League of Legends right now, but me and Dan got together and watched some league finals. It's fun stuff. Like yeah. it's exciting. I'm sitting here like maybe I should go home and re-download this game. Yeah. <laughs> just, just like if like, you watch anything, fun. just watch like the top plays or something like that. Like they'll show you top plays through the international. Mm-hmm. And one that I can just tell you right now, just off the top of my head, is called the Six Million Dollar Echo Slam. And it was back in 2014. It was EG and uh, CDNC in That's the final evil game. Evil geniuses, and I don't know the other acronym. Yeah, it's it's a Chinese team. Yeah. Um, and this was uh, <laughs> this was insane. It was the final, basically the final play of the game. It was kind of just a complete. We have to do this, or there's nothing. Game four, and they went in and essentially just wiped the entire team in one vel swoop. Yes, yeah, so I think Scott showed me the play. It's, it's impressive. I don't play Dota. I don't really know what's going on, but it's cool. So, yeah. Zach, you were looking up the viewership numbers for the international. Did you find those? Yeah, so I have two things. I have the viewership numbers, and then I have something I want to reference to Scott. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, but Ti Seven. Uh, 
increase to or increased forty four percent to eight hundred forty five thousand viewers from five hundred eighty eight thousand viewers the year before. Yeah. And then uh, when I was researching Dota and how Dota worked, uh, there's like this legendary thing, I guess, where they uh, a guy would hook somebody from across oh. the map. Oh, I've heard of that. The fountain and, hooks. And yeah. drag them all the way back to the base, yep. and that would automatically kill it's a, them. Yeah, a combination yep. of a couple heroes, as yep. I recall. Shen, but, Shen's teleport yep. and then uh, and then Pudge's hook ability. Yeah, and look, look that up. Look it's it cool up. stuff. It, is, it really it, is. Um, called I wanted hooks. to. I wanted to jump into League stuff before yeah, go we for ran it. out of no, time. Please go um, for it. Yeah, I've so League Dota of Legends time. in 2011 had its first uh, season of competitive play, and it functioned basically like everything else had up to that point. You had a series of tournaments throughout the year. Those tournaments, some of them would be used as qualifiers for teams to participate at a Worlds tournament at the end of the year. So they had their Worlds tournament at DreamHack in 2011, um, and Fnatic won that one. They're a European team. They've been a team for a long time. They're still a team today. They're relevant. They're cool. Um, the next year, they did essentially the same thing for their second season of competitive play in 2012. Um, I don't recall where exactly the 2012 World Championships was hosted. Um, they change it every year, different countries, different cities, stuff like that, because there are several different uh, regions that have big scenes. Um but then season three, um, oh yeah, and then that year it was a team from Southeast Asia that won Taipei Assassins. Season three, League of Legends decided to take kind of a new tack. So uh, tournament structure it works a lot like you know, golf or uh, NASCAR in some ways, in the sense that uh, you either earn a qualification spot for a bigger tournament or you earn circuit points on a set of tournaments and then at the end of that, whoever has the most points wins or qualifies or whatever. Um, and then you can contrast that to something like the NBA or Major League Baseball or the NFL or whatever, uh, kind of the traditional American sports or, or soccer, I guess, too, um, where you have season play. And there are a number of teams in that group. I don't know the name for that format of competition i guess but season play essentially and you play against everyone at least once sometimes multiple times so riot games decided to set up their own competitive scene doing that so in north america and in europe um they had eight teams in each place and then ultimately i don't know if it was Riot that did it but these the uh, Southeast Asia and Korea and China all ended up on kind of similar setups. Um, and those, so those eight teams would compete against each other for playoff spots. And then the playoffs would then determine who goes on to the world championship at the end of 2013. Um, and that was different than everywhere else. So one of the things that happened with that is that they started guaranteeing player salary. Uh, I don't know what it started out at. But I know that now it's gotten up to a seventy-five thousand dollar minimum if you are a player on a team. That that's absolutely to put yeah. it in perspective. Uh, pro Overwatch players are making about fifty thousand a year. Yeah, that's and that's seventy-five thousand guaranteed. You could lose every single game throughout the year, and you still get your seventy-five thousand dollars. You get bonuses above that for a variety of things. Um, so as a result, their tournament winnings tend to be a little bit lower because money's just being pumped. I mean, that's. What for each team three hundred seventy five thousand just for your starting five players. That doesn't count subs. That doesn't count coaches. That doesn't count uh, other support staff stuff like that. So 
that was a cool thing. Um, over time, they started, you know, they figured out how to make all of that work better. They had things like uh, they restricted the amount of players that you could import from another region so that you didn't just have a North America full of Korean players because the Korean League of Legends scene is way stronger than North America and Europe. Um, and uh, some other protections for teams. Um, but they still had a relegation system. So that's something that comes out of soccer or that you yeah. see in soccer anyway, yeah. where the worst teams in the top league will end up getting demoted down to a B league, and the best teams in that B league will jump up to the top league. Um, that works pretty well in soccer. They have two or three levels of, of leagues like that, I believe. Um, yeah. And there's a lot of infrastructure to support that. Um, in esports, unfortunately, at least in the early 2010s, a lot of these organizations were new and so they didn't have the money backing and they didn't have the infrastructure to create consistent success. So where you have like team solo mid and you have counter logic gaming and you have eventually cloud nine as all organizations that, you know, appear and stick around for a long time. There's also tons of other organizations that'll be there for a year or even half a year and then go away. So in 2017, um, the teams in North America at the time banded together and they sent Riot a sort of kind of a letter with some pressure behind it saying, hey, we want to franchise. So that's where it starts to function more like American sports. So in the NFL, you have, you know, your what, 32 franchises. 32, yeah. Uh, NBA is similar. Major, Major League Baseball is similar. Mm -hmm. uh, Major League Soccer is similar. In all of these cases, there's a set amount of teams and the league itself is limited to that um so there's a lot more stability there are are i don't know enough about it to tell you what the potential pros and cons are of it but it's a big change and what it did do was allow for i guess outside money to come in and start sponsoring stuff so we talked about starcraft earlier with the sk telecom and these other companies coming in and basically dumping money into the scene so this last year and going into this year, we essentially have the same thing happening, only here it's NBA teams of all things. So Golden State, uh, Houston Rockets, I think the Bucks have some some money I that they the, put behind I a team. I think the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, they might have. I would have to check. The Cavaliers. Cavaliers? I don't Cavaliers. know how it's pronounced. It's Ca Cavaliers. Yeah, Caval you can tell I Cavaliers. watch basketball, right? Uh, anyway, about half of the teams, it's now 10 teams in the NALCS. About half of them are backed by uh, basketball money somehow, Include and in a couple cases are straight up owned. So Golden State has a team, Golden Guardians, um, and they actually just fired a coach for essentially being unprofessional. Uh, they haven't commented on the specifics. The coach has... Sore that former coach has sort of commented on it, but you know, he's a figure in the scene that has a reputation for not always being as polite as he probably should be. So, um, so it's interesting to see that happening, and I'm interested to see how that impacts North American play going forward. Because one of the problems before was you didn't have stable organizations and you didn't have uh, the infrastructure built up. But NBA teams know how to do infrastructure. They know how to structure their players' schedules and things to make sure that they're 
getting as good as they can be and to getting the support that they need. And so, you know, maybe it'll take a year or two for them to pick up on the nuances of the esports scene and what they need and don't. But it'll be really cool to see that grow. And I, th- most of those teams are doing really well. I mean, you look at uh, Call of Duty as Call of Duty World League, which is based on a league system. Mm-hmm. You have Overwatch in a league system. Yep. Yeah, yeah and you're seeing that now because Overwatch, yeah. same thing. Give Seattle doing, a team. Dota, Dota is now doing the same. Like, <laughs> Are they the rank system and stuff like that? Okay, and, yep. and you know, and it's great though because it it makes it so familiar and so much easier to follow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, so definitely both Dota and League are doing a lot of cool things to further esports. Um, mm-hmm. Do you I guess know what else is forwarding esports? What Twitch. Yeah, Twitch. I I I just want to briefly just throw it out yeah, there. Yeah, just run, run us down that. Like these tournaments aren't being shown on TV. Like ESPN starting to pick them up more, but Twitch is the backer. They are the hard support of esports, and that's something that I found when I was uh, researching for other stuff before MLG Major League Gaming uh, back in two thousand eight. I think it was mm-hmm. two thousand seven. They were starting to get big influxes of money from sponsors. Mm-hmm. They tried to get broadcasting, like you know, network TV, and they realized this isn't working. It's not working very well. So let's just focus on building internet streaming infrastructure Mm -hmm. now i don't know how directly that leads to twitch i don't think it does but because they decided to focus on that i think that contributed i mean twitch signs partner deals with mlg with overwatch yeah with esports with dota stuff yeah league yeah Yeah. they they sign with all these companies the like quick facts on twitch uh spun off from justin.tv in 2011 Mm -hmm. by 2013 it had gotten incredibly popular something like 45 million unique viewers maybe that was 2000 yeah that was 2013 um, and they rebranded as Twitch and not Justin because it was owned by Justin TV at that point. But they rebranded as Twitch Interactive. I remember that when that happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was that was huge. 2014, Amazon bought Twitch for almost a billion dollars, mm-hmm. which is just incredible. In 2015, they uh, had something like 1.5 million broadcasters, individual yeah. people who hop on Twitch. Uh, and will show their games to other people, and over a hundred million unique monthly viewers, mm-hmm. which is insane. That's so many people. Twitch is a money making machine with no signs of slowing down. Yeah. So, and because of Twitch, and because of platforms like Twitch, you know, YouTube gaming is now a thing too. Um, that gives the opportunity for people to watch this stuff for free. So, viewership of League of Legends and Dota and stuff mm-hmm. uh, bigger than hockey which is yeah. the fourth yes. most viewed traditional sport in america yep so i also have some numbers here so for dota 2 PUBG, league of like league of legends league of legends league of legends leggings hearthstone league of and overwatch uh for dota 2 you have 27.5 million views or mm-hmm. hours watched from august 7th to august 13th i'm currently watching it right now no i'm not but <laughs> i would be if i was at home yeah. right now like just watching games is fun and then right. and then league of legends has a total of 2.1 billion views and then dota 2 is following behind that with 1 billion views nice Nice. Yeah. League has definitely become the more mainstream because of the structure of League. It's easier to watch. Yes, you know, absolutely. There's ten games a week you can watch. Two of them have the team you're following uh, in any given region, right? And mm-hmm. then you can still go and you can watch SKT play in in South Korea because SKT's won three world championships. Um. Anyway, there's a couple other mobas. 
we wanted to mention. Just quick. Yeah, Smite. Smite. Uh, both of these come out in 2014. Smite had a kind of a third person over the shoulder take on the MOBA. March 25th. March. Very interesting. Yeah, I it's interesting. It. Mm-hmm. I, I tried it out some too. Um, then you also have Heroes of the Storm. Hang on, before you mention that, oh. um, Smite was also the first MOBA to ever be released on a major console as well. Yeah. A year later. Yeah. So that, prize that's pools aren't as big, but there are prize pools and there are tournaments. Mm-hmm. Yes, for consistently. Smite. Yep. Um, and then, and then Heroes, Heroes of the Storm, Storm which mm-hmm. is basically like Blizzard, Blizzard saying, oh, we don't have Dota anymore? Well, I guess we can make Heroes of the Storm. Yeah, uh, exactly. It's unique in Very that different. all of these other games, they have one map that you play on and you have your set of you know champs and whatever and you have items that you build. Um, Heroes of the Storm said we're dropping items, uh, giving you way better skill customization. And then they have something like a dozen different maps that have different objectives on them. So... Dota and League, from a certain perspective, are almost identical games. The details that are put into it are different, but there's two bases, there's towers on the way, there are a couple other big map objectives, and you're trying to win by destroying their base. That's still true in Heroes of the Storm, but what the other map objectives are are very different. And And it's really cool that way. Very, very important to winning. Right. And let's not forget, the the whole team style is different. You don't get kills. Your team gets kills. Mm-hmm. You um, level as a team. They tried to remove toxicity through players by making not by taking away people's independence and making them feel more like a team. Yeah, so it didn't work. Well, but. <laughs> we can comment on that another time if we feel like it. Um, yes. Other kind of mentions we wanted to make about esports. Uh, there's a few other genres that are present that we didn't talk about much. Sports games, mm-hmm. specifically FIFA has a pretty consistent showing at tournaments mm-hmm. every year. Uh, you have some racing games that I saw along the way. Uh, I don't know of any that are super popular, but, well, Trackmania is the one. I remember picking up that game and being like, what is this? And can it's basically, can, it's a time trial thing. Can but. we consider Rocket League under racing games? Rocket League is, yeah, it's another honorable mention. Yeah. I would call it a sports game. I would call it a sports game. Uh, yeah. It's soccer, but played with cars. Yeah. It's, exactly. So it's soccer and NASCAR. It's fun. It's yeah. Fun. Well, cars with rockets and yeah. wings and stuff. And it's, then, yeah. And then uh, card-based games. And then card-based games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which Hearthstone is, is huge. Probably a topic worth talking about by itself, but yeah, yeah they're... I guess and they come out of the Magic the Gathering, Pokemon trading card game, Yu-Gi-Oh, all of that stuff from our youth. Uh, people figured out you can port that idea to a computer and then built stuff that works really well on the computer. So card games are the genre that's been coming out in the last couple of years. Yeah, I'll so. throw out a shout out to Elder Scrolls Legends too, because while it's not as big as Hearthstone, it has been taking off. Yeah, people like that game. I've, I've watched my roommate play it a bunch. Never yeah. even heard of it. No, totally joking. <laughs> I've just never played it. Um, yeah, I mean, so I guess that's it. Most right? of it. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, the Olympic thing. What? So StarCraft oh, yeah. Two. back yeah. to strategy games briefly. Yeah. yeah. Zach, take uh, it away. Real briefly. So uh, Scarlet, which is a professional StarCraft Two player, uh, was at, what was it called? It was Intel... Uh, the Intel Extreme Masters in South Korea, in South Pyeongchang, Korea. I think Pyeongchang. was the city. Uh, but basically, the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, is eyeballing uh, that competition for possible uh, Olympic mm-hmm. uses yeah. in 2024, which is really cool because that'll you know bring more yeah. people into it. It sounded like more it was sports, esports in general. Mm-hmm. Um, 
there are a couple of cool implications about it. One, uh, so this was the cool thing. You said Scarlet, right? Yeah. Uh, fun fact, Scarlet is the first non-Korean player to win since 2000, the uh, StarCraft tournament since 2000, uh, and only the second one ever. Not only that, I believe she is the first female uh StarCraft II Premier League winner. So it says the Canadian defeated two-time world champion Kim Yu uh, Jin mm-hmm. playing as a Zerg. Her old standby in a 4-1 victory. Yeah. She's the second North American pro to ever place first at a major StarCraft II tournament in South Korea. Yeah, the other one was also Canadian in, I think, 2000 or 2001. No, it would have been 2000, I think, or 1999. I don't know. I'm going to go home and watch that. Yeah, that no, and that's a big <laughs> deal. Um uh, the female presence in pro gaming is it's growing it's growing it's very small or but it has been at least in league I, I think we um, can not to push it aside not that females are unimportant but I think we can talk about that another time in yeah, greater detail in because greater they detail. are definitely, important yeah. it's definitely a topic worth talking about yeah. and you know for those of you out there who know me feel free to hit me up and ask me about it so no one will hit you yeah. <laughs> um, so I'll as we head to up, our Dan. conclusion here I just mm-hmm. want to make sure to you know thank you guys for listening as um, always find us on social media yeah. stuff yeah, yeah. Um, Facebook also Instagram let us, everything uh, video game pharmacy yeah um, for all of them subscribe on YouTube let us know specifically what you think of this kind of style of episode I know most of our other ones have been about headlines and news and stuff and, and banter just between us all yeah, yeah. and this was uh, our first time really diving into kind of history, history detail stuff mm-hmm. and something I felt pretty passionate about pursuing um so I would love to hear what you guys think, whether you want more or less of this, or there's something in particular that we could change about it to make it easier to listen to. Mm-hmm. Um, any of that, just let us know. Yeah, that'd be great. On Facebook, on Twitter, Twitter Instagram, mm-hmm. Instagram. We started up a Twitch. We're gonna see how that goes. Yeah, we'll, we'll try yeah. and make that happen. Um, and yeah, that Brooks, thank you for being here. You'll probably be uh, here on a lot more since we fired Brit. I mean, uh, since he's on, I, was, I mean, uh, permanent, permanent vacation. Shout out to yeah. Britain. Yeah, uh, he had a great time me. at Disneyland. Yeah, thanks. Tell us about that next week. I'm going to Disneyland. Have fun. Shut up. I missed. Whoa. Have fun at. <laughs> have fun at. Uh, uh, yeah, have fun, everyone. I don't know how um, to end this. We'll just say thank you guys so much for listening to. And thanks to NWCZ Radio yes, for letting us you. use their yeah. studio. Yes, thank you to NWCZ Radio. This. Has been VGRX, your weekly dose of video game news, know-how, and everything. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we will see you guys next week. Bye. Later. 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 This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.